Today at Salem, we observe the festival of the presentation of the Augsburg Confession. And the gospel reading appointed for this day is taken from the 8th chapter of St. John's Gospel, beginning with the 31st verse. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say, You will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. This is the gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from Jesus Christ, his Son, our Savior. Amen. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. We must abide in the divine word if we are to know the truth and be free. But how shall we abide in the truth? The inclination of the hearts of men and women has always been toward the lie, deceiving and being deceived, since the fall of our first parents in the Garden of Eden. We are born as slaves of sin. As we hear the words of the Gospel reading, we know that our Lord spoke thus to the Jews in the temple. The Jews, being full of confidence in themselves and filled with patriotic fervor, replied to the word which our Lord spake with their lie. For they said, We are Abraham's descendants, and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? What the Jews declared in response to the truth was a bold-faced lie. And yet, these Jews, we are told, are those Jews who believed him. The entire incident is reminiscent of John chapter 6, when there were those who were fed in the feeding of the 5,000 and continued to chase Jesus around, seeking to be fed again. But when he spoke to them of eating his flesh and drinking his blood, so they would eat and drink and live forever, they turned back and followed him no more. What the Jews assert in today's gospel reading is, of course, laughably false. One might very well ask them, I'm sorry, how did you get here? Oh, that's right. You were slaves in Egypt until the Lord sent Moses to be the instrument of your deliverance from bondage. When your ancestors, who were also descendants from Abraham, were busy making bricks without straw, I'm pretty sure that they were slaves. Or how about when you were in bondage during the Babylonian captivity? Where was your assertion of freedom then? Did you not live where a Gentile told you to live until the time which the Lord had ordained for you to return to the land promised to Abraham? And this is without addressing the awkward status of the Jews as part of the Roman Empire. We are no one's slaves, says the people who are ruled over by foreigners and taxed by foreigners and have a foreign occupation army in their country. Obviously, most of them were not Romans, and only Romans had the full expression of rights under law. So their defensive reaction is ridiculous. Of course their ancestors had been slaves, and their status as freemen under Roman law, in the fullest sense at least, was doubtful. But even more importantly, their obsession with civil liberty was blinding them to the greater issue, the danger of being slaves to sin. The slavery of this world ends with death. No matter how degraded by the institutions of this world, 
such bondage ends with death. The greater slavery has only begun when a sinner dies. To die as a slave to sin is to enter into the everlasting punishment in the fires of hell. The Lord's word cut through all their attempts to confuse the issue. For he declared, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. A slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Our Lord's words on, on in John chapter 8 fit well with what is in the epistle reading today from Galatians, the second chapter. A man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even as we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by faith in Christ, and not, not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. The Pharisees imagined that they would be righteous before the Lord on account of their own striving for perfection. But their works were hypocrisy. It is thus that the church has appointed these readings for the festival of the presentation of the Augsburg Confession. The formula of Concord rightly refers to the unaltered Augsburg Confession of the year 1530 as the symbol or confession of our time. Because in that faithful confession, almost 500 years ago, we find the application of the teaching of Holy Scripture in response to the hypocrisies of the papists and all the sectarians which the Church must confront in these latter days of the world. By means of that confession, the faithful teachers of the Church exposed the way in which the doctrines of men were being promoted in the Church in place of the pure Word of God. The worldly doctrines of false teachers were confronted with the clear word, even as St. Paul exhorted St. Titus to counter false teachers with the clear word. For thus we read in the first chapter of Titus, For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not, for the sake of dishonest gain." Concerning the faithful teaching of Christ's doctrine, St. Paul declares to St. Titus in the second chapter, Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. One of the great tragedies of these latter days is that many who would present themselves as faithful confessors of that biblical teaching have become more concerned with the favor of the crowds than the faithfulness of their confession. Like the papists before them, Many of the Lutheran synods are more concerned for asserting their freedom than their adherence to a faithful confession. One finds, for example, in both the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod and the ELCA an assertion of a false freedom which is more concerned with whether or not someone has forbidden the specific innovation or new practice that they would desire to follow, rather than asking whether or not such a thing were edifying. And yet, almost always, the innovations which are chased after have been born, at least in parts, out of a different doctrine from that which Scripture declares. Faithful practice should never be seen as a burden, and yet very often in false teaching synods one finds that that's precisely the way that obligation is treated. St. James wrote in the first chapter of his epistle, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. 
for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. When we hear of the perfect law of liberty, we hear, if you will, an expression of positive freedom. Continuing as a believer in the fulfillment of the law is perfect liberty. The Orthodox faith is not an abstraction, it is lived out in one's confession, in what is taught and done in the church, was confessed with our lips, lived in our lives, and treasured in our hearts. It is therefore a faith which leads to continual repentance before the Lord, even as we always have our trust in Him. For it is as St. Paul wrote, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. This is why the Apology of the Augsburg Confession teaches as follows. The two chief works of God in men are these, to terrify and to justify and quicken those who have been terrified. Into these two works all scripture has been distributed. The one part is the law, which shows, reproves, and condemns sin, sins. The other part is the gospel that is, the promise of grace bestowed in Christ, and this promise is constantly repeated in the whole of Scripture, first having been declared to Adam, afterward to the patriarchs, then still more clearly proclaimed to the prophets, lastly preached and set forth among the Jews by Christ, and disseminated over the whole entire world by the apostles. For all the saints were justified by faith in this promise, and not by their own attrition or contrition. If then our sins make us afraid, that is good. Contrition should always bring us back to confession of our sins, that we might receive again the absolution, so that we would be consoled by Christ through the proclamation of his word. Again, in the words of our confessions, the power of the keys administers and presents the gospel through absolution, which is the true voice of the gospel. Thus, we also comprise absolution when we speak of faith, because faith cometh by hearing. For when the gospel is heard, and the absolution is heard, the conscience is encouraged and receives consolation. And because God truly quickens through the word, the keys truly remit sins before God. According to Luke 10.16, He that heareth you heareth me. Wherefore, the voice of one absolving must be, must be believed not otherwise than we would believe a voice from heaven. An absolution properly can be called a sacrament of repentance as also the more learned scholastics speak. So far, our confession. As I look back on the 25 years of my service thus far in the office of the Holy Ministry, when I consider the controversies into which I have been forced by circumstances to engage, these have almost exclusively centered precisely on the office of the keys. That is, the responsibility of the called and ordained servant of the word to loose the sins of the repentant, and to bind the sins of the impenitent. The controversy over objective justification finds its root in the rejection of the binding and loosing keys in excommunication and absolution, as one finds that false doctrine of objective justification among the Missourians. They have a weak view concerning the office of the keys, because they have a wrong view regarding justification. There are those who wish to assert that they need no repentance, who claim that there is no bondage from which they need to be loosed. This, too, is a common enough transgression. 
The danger for sinners is that they, in the words of St. Paul, build again those things which I destroyed. In such things, St. Paul declares, I make myself a transgressor. There is a perpetual need for repentance before the Lord, daily on account of the transgression which clings to us, but also with great contrition when we see how easily the heart is led astray and would seek to remain in sin, even challenging conscience. In such times the peril is great indeed, and we have but to consider King David and St. Peter to see how great the peril is when the desires and fears of the flesh become occasion for even greater danger. That we might be justified, it was necessary that the Christ make atonement for sins, paying for our transgression through his suffering and death for us, so that we, through faith in him, would receive the forgiveness of sins. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. No work of sinful man, no power of our own commitment, could set us free. St. Paul wrote to the Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. As often as we sin, we come before the Lord in repentance, trusting in his mercy, in Christ Jesus, showing forth the love of God through the works which benefit our, our, which benefit our neighbor. For we are absolved through the word, and have our consolation in the word. Freed from any notion of meriting, of earning merit before God, our imperfect works are a dim reflection of the perfect love of God, which has been shown toward us in Christ Jesus. We are at peace with God, for the Lord has delivered us from death, so that we might live because Christ lives in us. Now the risen Christ is our advocate with the Father, we need not fear the plots and plans of men. We need fear no persecution. We need not fear death or sword. For the Lord has sent his Holy Spirit to strengthen, comfort, console, and bolster us as we pass through this veil of tears. The days of the enemies of the gospel are swiftly running their course to their end. Our life in Christ Jesus has no end. For our lives are in him who rose from the dead. And he will gather us together with all of his church to be with him forever. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, who through the preaching of thy servants, the blessed reformers, hast caused the light of the gospel to shine forth, grant, we beseech thee, that knowing its saving power, we may faithfully guard and defend it against all enemies, and joyfully proclaim it to the salvation of souls and the glory of thy holy name, through Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. Amen. The people of Salem Lutheran Church of Malone invite you to visit them today for the 10 a.m. worship service. Sunday school follows after the divine service. Salem was located approximately two miles north of Malone, off of FM 308. These broadcasts are provided through the support of the members of Salem Lutheran Church of Malone. <laughs>